Taking it personally, Cain and Abel. It is possible that the Parshat Shavua is a historical record, but that's not, in fact, why we read it in our yearly Torah cycle. Much more important is, according to the statement of the Zohar, that the words of the Torah are the garments of the divine. The Zohar further states, the Torah, the Holy Blessed One and the soul are one. They are of the same essence. If we are to examine the implications of this statement, we would see that the Torah is of the same essence as the soul and therefore a guide to its processes. Indeed, the Baal of Sulam has taught that we should relate to all the stories, their personalities and their happenings, as being represented within ourselves. Thus, in analysing these biblical narratives carefully, we may use them both to end ourselves and as a guide to our own behaviour. The Nitivot Shalom, the great modern Hasidic master, when looking at the well-known question as to why the Torah begins with the creation of the world rather than with the first mitzvah that God gave to the children of Israel, this month shall be the first of the months, points out that it is from the stories, from the creation of the world onwards, of Adam and Eve and their doings in the Garden of Eden, of Cain and Abel, and the stories of our forefathers, that we may learn midot, good character attributes, the developments of which are a necessary precursor for performing the mitzvot of God unconditionally. In our own lives, we see that we do first encourage the development of good midot in young children long before they are required to carry out mitzvot. Indeed, from the moment the child begins to act with, interact with his siblings at home or with his peers in the kindergarten, he's taught to share, not to bully, to curb his animal instincts, to say please and thank you. Actual mitzvot of the Torah are not in fact laid on him until he's 13 years old if he's a boy or 12 years old for a girl. It is from this first portion of the Torah that we may learn the processes and characteristics of that very paradoxical combination within us, our ego and the soul, and how to work with them. The Torah contains a light that helps transform the ego. The sages taught, the Holy Blessed One said, I created the evil inclination, but I created the Torah as its healing spice. Likewise, the sages taught on the scripture Jeremiah, they left me and they did not keep my Torah. If only they had left me but kept my Torah, then the light which is in it would have brought them back to the good way. The Bala Sulam, writing in his essay Torah Kabbalah Mahuta, puts it like this. Most of the words of the Torah are for meditating on, and in this we settle the question as to why the Torah includes within it those parts that don't dwell on practical issues, but are for meditation. For example, the creation of the world, in fact, the entire book of Genesis, most of Exodus, and most of Deuteronomy. And one certainly doesn't need to mention the Midrash and the folk stories. But these aspects are the essence in which the light of Torah is closely wrapped. It is through contemplating these that a person may purify his ego 
and subdue his evil inclination and come to faith in Torah, to understand that there is reward for our positive acts and that they bring us closer to God and there are consequences for our negative acts and that they cause us to be separate from the Creator. These understandings comprise the first stage of doing the work of God. It is clear that the words of the Torah that deal with the revelation of God to our forefathers on which a person thinks and meditates that bring him most light to the soul. This year, when in the synagogue listening to the first reading of the year, the Parashat Bereshit, I was struck by the story of Cain and Abel. Trying to bear in mind all that we've spoken about, I looked for two things. I wanted to ask which midot were involved and how are they represented within myself? This is the biblical narrative. And the man knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, whereas Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in due time it came to pass that Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground as an offering to the Lord. Also Abel, he brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fattest. And the Lord responded to Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering he did not respond. And Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you make good, shall it not be lifted up? But if you do not make good, sin is crouching at the door and is desiring you, but you may rule over it. And Cain spoke to Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground. It's opened her mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall not yield to you her strength. A fugitive and a wanderer you shall be on the earth. Can I identify the Cain within me? Can I identify the Abel within me? And what can I do to prevent my inner Cain from murdering my inner Abel? These sound shocking questions, but I can learn a lot by asking them. The Torah itself gives us many clues regarding the identity and essence of Cain and Abel. First of all, it's quite clear that Cain had a great soul. God spoke directly to Cain. Just think about that. It's amazing. How many people in history
history did God speak to so directly? You can count them on the fingers of one hand. Also, from the biblical narrative, it does appear that it was Cain's idea to bring an offering to God in the first place. But God heard the prayer of Abel and his offering. He did not heed that of Cain and his offering. And Cain was extremely angry and his face fell. Let us stop there for a moment. Let us suggest two possible motives for Cain in bringing this offering in the first place. One motive because he genuinely wanted to thank God and bless him for all that he had given to him. Two, another motive, because he wanted to get something from God. If we truly want to give to somebody, and our giving is truly unconditional, in that we don't wish for anything back in return for our gift, not even appreciation, then we have no reason to be upset or angry if our gift is not received. We may simply shrug and say, well, I guess it wasn't right for him or her at this time. And although we may feel a little down, we can be happy that at least from our side, we did what we know to be right. And basically we carry on our lives with our inner happiness unruffled. But Cain became angry and he persisted in his anger. The scripture gives us two descriptions. It states that he was very angry and goes on to say that his face fell. This tells us that his giving was not a truly unconditional giving, but in fact, through his giving, he wanted to get something from God which didn't come through. Indeed, the Zohar teaches us that from the inner aspect of their souls, Cain had inherited the will to receive oneself alone from the aspect of the snake that Eve, his mother, had taken in when she ate the apple. Whereas Abel had the aspect of the will to give as given to him from Adam. So, if we translate this into the language of Rabbi Ashlag, Cain is represented within myself as my will to receive for myself alone, also called the ego or selfish love. Whereas Abel is represented within me by the will to give unconditionally. Now, we're told God hearkened to Abel's prayer and we can see now why this was. It was because Abel was in affinity of form with God. Just as God is giving to us unconditionally, so is Abel's offering also offered up unconditionally. The Bible emphasizes that he gave the firstborn of his lambs and the fattest of them. But Cain's offering was not in affinity of form and so went unanswered. If Cain had recognized his inner process at this point, he could still have saved the situation. He could have worked to maintain his inner simcha, his inner happiness. What could he have done? He could have prayed to God. Dear God, I feel hurt and angry that you favoured my brother 
and you did not answer me. Dear God, I don't want to be in separation from you. Please help me to overcome my feelings. He could have turned to the Torah, for the illumination that is in it brings a person back to the right way, as we've seen earlier. Well, you could say that the Torah had not yet been given to the world. Yet, the Zohar does teach us that man did have the wisdom of how to connect to God from Adam. And this is a teaching based on the scripture, Genesis chapter 5, which says this is the book of the generations of Adam. Adam had this consciousness of wis or wisdom of how to connect with God whilst he was in the Garden of Eden. He lost it when he was driven out, but once he prayed and did repentance, it had been given back to him so that the great wisdom of how to connect with God would not be lost from human beings. So this wisdom was available to Cain and he could have turned to it trying to find the illumination of how to come to giving and compassion which would have enabled him to correct his offering instead of looking to see what he could receive but he could look to see what he could do to correct things to make things better and deal with his feelings. It is not for nothing that Rabbi Nachman teaches us Mitzvah gedola liot basimcha. It is a great mitzvah to be happy. Of course, there are times when this is easy, but there are plenty times when we have to strain to maintain our inner happiness. Moments of disappointment, of unfulfilled hopes, of wrong calculations or of setbacks happen to us all. What would have happened if Cain even though he made the offering from the wrong premise in the first place, had nevertheless striven to maintain his inner equanimity. The whole thing could have stopped right there. Yet, even though Cain did none of these things, God did not abandon him. He approached Cain and tried to reassure him and then warn him. God said to Cain, if you make good, shall it not be lifted up? But if you don't make good, sin is crouching at the door and is desiring you, but you may yet rule over it. The commentators seem to be a little bit divided as to what God means when he says, if you do well, shall it not be lifted up? Rashi seems to imply that if you do well, you can get back to base. But the Ramban and Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra consider that being lifted up means that if you do well, your offering would then be greater even than that of your brothers. This makes sense. As we know, the potential of the will to receive on its transformation to receiving for the sake of giving is infinitely greater than, than the vessel for giving for the sake of giving. As we know, the vessel of the will to receive, on its transformation to receiving for the sake of giving, has the potential of being an infinitely greater vessel than that of giving for the sake of giving. Being a vessel, it's able to receive all that God wants to give to the created beings according to the thought of creation 
but being for the sake of giving, it becomes an infinite channel of goodness. But unfortunately, this did not happen. Cain did not heed God, but allowed his passions to rule him and ended by murdering Abel, his brother. This is an end that we also need to ponder over. Why was Cain angry with Abel? Surely it makes more sense to have directed his anger at God. That would have at least have been more accurate. Discussing this over with a friend, we see that Cain's reaction was one of jealousy. And the sages in Pirkei Avot teach jealousy, lust and the quest for honour take a person out of the world. They take a person away from his essential self. And jealousy harms not only the person himself, but also the object of his jealousy. From the story of Cain, we see that when we're acting from our will to receive for ourselves alone, we become deaf to logic, our vision is narrowed, and we may act to harm the inappropriate personal object misdirecting and projecting onto our fellow. Cain's punishment also tells us of the consequence of using our wills to receive for ourselves alone. We end up separated from God in our own self-created exile. The play between the Cain within us, the Abel within us, and also the warning of God within us is enacted inside of us many times over. Our will to receive for ourselves alone demands, and its demands often kills the sound of the softer voice of the soul, the able within us. It tends to take over the energies of the will to give, denying it its place in the world. We often do get an inner voice, a whisper within us, a doubt, a nagging of conscience. Afterwards, when we feel the bitter pangs of separation from God, we feel, oh, if only I'd listened to my inner voice. This graphic picture is indeed an epic portrayal of the ongoing struggle conducted within ourselves. The Holy Orachayim, in writing his Torah commentary, points out that the biblical narrative emphasises again and again that Cain and Abel were brothers. What is the Torah trying to tell us here? Does it mean they were equals? No, brothers are very often not equals, either in potential or in characteristics. Maybe it means they have equal rights. No, a firstborn has certain duties and rights that the other brothers don't have. It seems to me that being brothers means that both Cain and Abel originate from the same source. This is important for us to remember. Even when we're in the midst of dealing with the difficulties of our own will to receive ourselves alone, we have to remember that it shares the same source as the will to give. Both ego and soul have their origin in the divine.
Our will to receive for ourselves alone may give us our initiative and our drive. But we need to remember the story of Cain and Abel and watch out for the mistakes that Cain made within ourselves. Not allowing situations to develop beyond the point of no return, but dealing with them before they get out of hand. Maintaining our inner simcha and not allowing resentments to fester within us, but using every help we can get from our faith in God, from our prayers and from the wisdom of the Torah to help us through. As we work in this way, may we be blessed to develop the required midot, the good characteristics, which are a necessary prerequisite for being able to carry out the mitzvot of the Torah, so one day we may be privileged to serve God for his own sake unconditionally. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahorah School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahorah School online. Details at www.nahorahschool.com or www.nahorahpress.com.